Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. It's been quite a week. And um, if you read my little ramble in the email, um, I estimated the other night that I think I've lost about 85 years of friendship in the last few months. And that's a lot of friendship. So, uh, yeah, it's been a tough week. Um, But uh, our prayers continue for the families and those who uh, are going through difficult times. And we know by watching the news um, again last night with another lockdown in England and wondering what's going to follow suit now with Northern Ireland. Um, We're living in precarious times and we desperately um, need to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so that's why we um, started this. This is the fifth Sunday. We're talking about this word, listen. Um, And we started this talking about the um, seven churches. We didn't actually, Dave and I didn't actually plan to do this. We just sort of got on to Revelation, onto these verses seven times. We saw that um, the, the Bible says seven times in Revelation, he that adheres to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has sent to the churches. And so the idea was that uh, as you begin to read in Revelation, you'll find that Paul, uh, not Paul, John, the Apostle John was exiled to the island of Patmos just down on the left-hand side there. And uh, they tried to kill him several times. They tried to boil him in oil. So you can imagine what his skin looked like. And um, eventually they exiled him to this place that um, held criminals and stuff like that. They exiled him out here as an old man probably in his 90s, somewhere in his early to mid-90s, and he puts pen to paper after a vision of um, the risen Jesus, this Jesus that he had laid his head on his breast that had traveled for three years with him. And um, we read in Revelation 1 how he falls before him like one dead as he sees the glorified Jesus. And of course, Jesus speaks to him gives him a vision and asks him to write a letter to seven churches, these seven churches in Asia Minor. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is walking amongst these churches. I think that's very important to note. He's walking amongst the churches and he's walking and he's observing. He's seeing what's going on. He's talking and figuring out the heart and the motive and behind the leadership of each one of these churches. And so he writes a letter, and in most of the letters, bar a couple of them with a little, a couple of changes, he has a commendation and he has a condemnation um, with a, a couple of exceptions. So we're going to read about the church in Pergamum, where the little arrow is up at the very top there. Um, we're going to read about it in Revelation 2, verses 12 to 17. This is what it says. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. That's an interesting statement. We'll look at that in a moment. Yet you remain true to my name. This is a commendation. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So Satan has his throne. Then he's making comment again where Satan lives. Interesting, isn't it? He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Here's the condemnation now. There are some among you who, who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught 
Balak uh, to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and I will fight against him with the sword of my mouth. Remember the very start, he talks about the sharp double-edged sword. All right, here he's saying he's coming and he's going to fight against him with the sword from his mouth. He says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches. There it is again. To the one who is victorious, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. That's really important to grasp. Last Sunday afternoon, I was walking on the beach in Newcastle, and I saw this little white stone. And I, I thought, there's a white stone in the Bible somewhere. I know there's a white stone in the Bible. And so I came back uh, and looked up and found that here it is. So I thought, ah, the Lord sent something to us about a white stone. We're going to talk about that in a moment or two. Can I say to you at the moment, for those who are watching online, those who are in the room, <clears throat> I want you to really listen. Not just to me. I want you to really listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church today, all right? It's hard to hear on the run. It's hard to hear in the busyness of life. I've told this story before, but many years ago, when I was on holiday one year, I I fancied a go at windsurfing. And uh, I, I went and did what you do. I hired my windsurf, and the guy was given instructions, and I didn't listen well enough to the instructions. And so I got my windsurf, got out into the nice Mediterranean warm sea, and got up onto that thing and fell off and got up and fell off. And I never felt more like a tea bag in my whole life. I was in and out of the water more times. But eventually, eventually, I mastered that thing. I got it. And you can imagine the scene, my muscular body. <laughs> We're not supposed to laugh at that point. And I'm on this windsurf, and I've got it, I've got it, and the wind is in the sails, and, and she's going, she's, she's moving across the water, and things are good, but it takes, it takes different muscles, and it begins to realize that it's not the same as walking on land, that this is a different remit, and it's using different muscles in your body, and so I begin to get sore, and I look back, and I realize that the beach was getting further and further away, and I realized then it's getting too far away and thought I need to turn this thing. The problem was every way I turned that sail, every single way I turned that sail, it kept going out. I could not get that sail, the wind to turn me back in. Even at one point, I know you're going to laugh at this, I jumped into the water, turned the thing back and pointed it towards shore, got up onto the board again, lifted the sail and it started to go back west. I could not get it to come back in. I couldn't get it to come back in. And so that was my, eventually I swam in towing that board behind me. And I realized, I realized that I hadn't listened carefully enough to the instruction of how to work it. And I began to realize that, that what's intuitive to my natural being didn't go with windsurfing. What the way I walked on land didn't actually go with what happened on the water. And um, the reason we need to listen at the moment is that I think what's going on in the spirit realm 
is not intuitive, is not in line with the things that are going on in your flesh. The things that are going on in the spirit realm at the minute, more so than ever, are not in line. They're not intuitive with what's going on in the flesh. It's a bit like my water legs versus my land legs. It's a, in the spirit realm, there's another way to walk. There's a different dynamic as such. There's a different way to walk. And so the current of this world does not flow in line with the current of the Spirit. That's what I'm trying to say. The current of the world doesn't flow with the the current of the Spirit. So if that's the case, then you should feel a little tension. (laughs) You should feel, if you're walking in the Spirit... You should feel a tension. An old friend of mine used to say, if you're feeling too natural, it's probably not supernatural. (laughs) And so there, you get what I'm saying? To live the Christian life, there should be a tension. There should be a, a tension. Now, I know the yoke's easy and the burden's light. I know that. But there should be a tension. There should be something something that happens. And, and we need to know that the Spirit at this moment in time is trying to guide us. And, 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 and we need to hear what He's saying. So I'm saying to you, listen. You need to listen really intently. Not to me, but to the Spirit. This church in Pergamum received one of the severest rebukes of all the churches because it's known as the compromising church. It's known. Um, and so what's going to happen today in this talk, in the next 20 minutes or so, God's going to mess with her flesh because he's messed with mine all week in this talk. In this city, this great city of Pergamum, today all that's left of it um, is ruins, really. It's in modern-day Turkey. But when the Apostle John wrote his letter to the church there, it was one of the most influential cities in all of the Roman Empire. Pergamum had a unique status that it was different than any other city because it was a political center. It was from there that, from that northern post that all the other rulings were made that affected probably all of the churches in Asia Minor. The people at Pergamum were inventors and innovators in the medical field. They perfected a, a parchment made out of calf skin, and they actually built the world's first psychiatric hospital. So quite an interesting city was the city of Pergamum. Pergamum was well known for its arts. The city's theater that you can see in the picture um, seated 10,000 people a night. And they would run something each night. And they say that the acoustics were so incredible that a whisper on the stage could be heard at the back row of the stadium. And at the end of the first century, Pergamum was a thriving city. So why, when we come to the book of Revelation, does, is it called the dwelling place of Satan? Well, the answer lies in the ruins of the city's temples. All right? On one side, it was a very beautiful city. On the flip side of the coin, it was one of the darkest, eeriest cities in the whole Roman Empire. The people of Pergamum were known as the city, as the temple keepers of Asia. They had three cities, or three temples. One was dedicated uh, in worship to the Roman emperor. One was dedicated to the goddess Athena. And then the great altar of Zeus. Um, uh, the Greek, he was the master of all Greek gods. And many scholars believe that this altar, the altar uh, of, the, of Zeus, was the, uh, was the throne of Satan. 
They reckon that this is what is mentioned in the book of Revelation. And the very fact that Jesus would use this word means that Satan felt at home here. <laughs> he had his throne here. It was his territory. He was the master of the house. And in the book of Revelation, we just read, Jesus calls Antipas my faithful martyr. He was the bishop of Pergamum. And he was ordained by the Apostle John, and he had cast out so many demons that the underworld had been complaining to their human cohorts and saying, you've got to do something about Antipas. And so Antipas got sentenced to death on the altar of Zeus. And um, the way they would have done that is almost too graphic to explain, but he was a golden bull and a bronze, bronze bull, and he would have been hollowed out. And so what they would have done, he, um, Antipas would have been put inside the bull and roasted. They would have lit a fire, and they would literally have roasted him to death. And they say whenever the people who they sacrificed in the bull cried in pain, it was like the bull roaring. It came out of the bull's mouth like the bull was um, speaking. And Jesus commends this church for their loyalty in the midst of hardship, and rebukes them, on the other hand, for their compromise. It's a bit like a, it's almost like a wee bit of a, an oxymoron. It's a bit like he's commending them, on one hand, for their outward appearance of loyalty, and he's, he's condemning them for their lack of faithfulness inwardly, their compromise. Jesus is saying, you found yourself com comfortable with the doctrine of Balaam. And, and I believe the doctrine of Balaam is one of the most widely taught um, doctrines in the church today. One of the false doctrines in the church today, and I'll explain to you why. The, the doctrine of Balaam says that you can be saved through faith, by grace, through faith, and nothing can alter that. Um, because you've been bought from above, and you, you've, you've passed through that birth, as it were. You're born again. You can't lose that salvation. They now possess spiritual life, they think, and they can, that can never be taken from them. And because of the unchangeable nature of the life that they now presently possess, they reason that they can conduct their lives in any manner which they choose, and it will make no difference. That's the doctrine of Balaam. You've got it, you can't lose it, so you can live whatever way you like. That's the doctrine of Balaam. And it's, it's rife in the church today. And I'll talk to you a little bit in a moment about that. However, as it was in the case of Israelites, so I believe it is in the case of Christians, we've been saved for a, a specific revealed purpose. And we know this, that every Christian, every Christian is enrolled in a race. We're told this in Corinthians. Don't you know that, that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize and run in such a way to get the prize? What's this prize? What is the prize that, that the Apostle Paul is talking about? What is the prize? If we've got eternal life, then what's the prize? This is where the doctrine of Balaam strips us of something, all right? We'll talk about this in a moment. Every Christian is involved in a conflict. Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and the mighty power. Put on, listen to the active verb, put on something that you have to do, the full armor of God so that you can stand against the evil uh, of the devil's schemes. And then every Christian is to win the race and be victorious in that conflict. God has made provision for Christians in order that at the end of the race they might be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought a good fight. I've strained every muscle. You see the tension? See the tension of living this life? 
It's not just to live whatever way you want. It's the tension of, of straining every muscle. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That's the prize. That's the prize. The enemy, Satan, on the other hand, is doing all within his power to bring defeat to the lives of Christians. Listen to me in this. Listen. Satan's main objective in present warfare against the church is to prevent Christians from qualifying for their crowns. That's what I believe the doctrine of Balaam is. He's, he's, trying to, he's trying to prevent Christians from qualifying for their crowns and their positions in leadership and in rulership with Christ in the coming kingdom. There are degrees, and we need to understand this. And we'll, we'll talk about it in a moment, all right? I, I could get off on a tangent, but I want to keep it in line. Satan and his angels are doing everything within their power to retain their present governmental control on this earth. And the main facet of the doctrine of Balaam is being populated in churches today is, that, is, is teaching that the, the future blessings and rewards have been set aside for every Christian solely on the basis of Christ's finished work on Calvary and the Christian's positional standing in Christ. And in this respect, all Christians, regardless of their conduct during this present time, will receive crowns and positions of power and authority with Christ in his kingdom. And I'm telling you here and now, that is not true. That is false teaching. And I'll show you why. Been clearly taught throughout the word of God that it's to the contrary. It is to the contrary. The Israelites didn't sin with immunity, nor, nor do we. There's no immunity to sin. Sin in the camp of Israel resulted in the Israelites being overthrown in the wilderness. And, and, and I, I don't believe it's any different for believers today. I think we have a, a, a something very powerful to understand in this. According to the writings of the early church leaders, the Nicolaitans, they, they taught a doctrine of compromise, implying the total separation between Christianity and the practice of occult paganism was not essential. From the early records, I, I googled this a little bit this week, it seems that apparent that this Nicholas of Antioch was so immersed in occultism, Judaism, and Christianity that he had a stomach for it all. And, um, and so God comes with his two-edged sword from his mouth. I know your minds are jumping to Hebrews 4.12. That's where mine jumped to immediately. That two-edged sword, that word of God. And, and he comes and, and, and the very word of God comes to expose the sin and to lay bare the very intents of the heart. And the Nicolaitans are threatening the word of God. So God comes and fights with his word on that ground. The word wins every time. So Nicolaitans and Balaamites are almost the same in that they would try to redefine the word of God, and that's why God comes and fights it with the word. You see? They would minimize the truth so they could maximize their pleasure. I think that's prevalent in the church today, that we, well, it doesn't really mean that. It doesn't really mean all of that, does it? Somebody asked me something recently, and I said to them, well, I said, look, I'll answer. They asked me, was it right? I don't want to say what it was, but they asked me, was this thing that they were going to do right? And I said, look, can I say, tell you what the Word of God says? And this is what he said to me, word for word. He says, ah, fell. He says, sure, the Word of God says a whole lot of stuff. That's not really meaningful. That's the doctrine of Balaam, right there. 
That's the doctrine of Balaam. And so they would minimize the truth so they could maximize their pleasure. Living the Christian life brings attention to the walk of every believer. And if you try to remove that tension, you end up not walking in the truth. And that tension takes place when the the battle of the spirit and flesh rage within us, pulling us either way. And it happens to us all. And obviously, that's what the great apostle Paul would mean. You, you probably know the, the passage where he says, the things that I would like to do are the things that I, I, I don't do, and the things that I shouldn't do are the things that I do. And then he finishes it with this here. He says, so I find this law at work. You can hear the frustration in Paul's voice here. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me. He says, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul said, there's a tension to this life. There's something pulling against the life that I need to when the manipulations and the Balaamites would make it easy to go with the flesh. That's what they would do. A bit like a stringed instrument. Dixie's going to come a wee minute and do a wee demonstration for us, if you will, Dixie. Um... I was thinking about this last night about a guitar, all right? Um, the, the beauty of a guitar is in the right tension of the string, all right? If you, there's a tension in the string, right? And, and, and so the beauty of it is if you stretch the string, now I don't know much about music, but I watch the guys doing this from time to time, and I watch them tuning their guitar. And then what happens is you... you, you, you you, you get it into the, this little tuner thing, and they get it into tune, and then they, they play a chord. So play us a chord, Dixie. You see? And so the chord, not very good, um, my beautiful assistant, and uh, the, 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 beauty of the, the beauty of the note comes from the tension of the string. Try it again, Dixie. You hear it? It's, it's, just, it's because it's the right tension, you see. Now, if we were to feel sorry for the strings... If we started to say, well, I think it's, it's too much to ask of those strings. They're far too tight. And he keeps breaking them all the time anyway. So why don't we just release the tension? Look, give us a... What happens when we release the tension? It destroys the integrity of the note. And if we destroy the integrity... Thanks, Dixie. If we destroy the integrity of the note, if we release the tension on our lives, if we begin to say, well, it doesn't really mean that. And it's okay if I sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. And it's all right if I get a little peep at pornography. And it's okay if I, if I drink too much. And it's okay if I do this. And it's okay if I do that. If we start to release the tension on, on, on what the Spirit's doing in our lives, we lose the integrity of the note. We lose the integrity of the note. You see, there's something about it. You cannot do this. You can't do this. You, you, you release the tension. You distort the sound. You remove the tension of your life, and you remove the truth of the Word of God. You remove the tension. I know this isn't an easy message to hear. It wasn't easy to prepare. But there's, there's, there's a few little things that I would love to leave with you today, because this is what the Nicolaitans and the Balaamites were doing when they compromised the truth. Here's um, three simple things. 
Firstly, I want to say what you believe actually really matters. These believers were eating food sacrificed to idols. They were being told it was okay. There were, there were the Nicolaitans and the Balaamites were saying, it's all right to come and feast. It's all right. I know it's food sacrificed to animals, but you're reaching out to these people. You're being their friend. This is being a witness to them. Can I say Jesus never, ever compromised in his ministry? Ever, ever. There's something about it. Hear me in this. Hear me in this. Will you please? I'm not being harsh today. I'm just trying to teach the word. Tolerance is not a spiritual gift. Tolerance is not a spiritual gift. We are to be like Jesus. We are to create a tension in our lives that we live like Paul and we know this law works against us and we know our flesh pulls against us but we know that we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to hear what the Spirit has sent to church and we need to live in that tension as we, because God says, be ye holy for I am holy. God says what you believe really matters. God is saying, don't eat from the foreign tables. Be careful how you live. This is what the children of Israel did. This is why it angered God so much. Every time the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt, to the, to the garlic and, the, and, and their, their food, it wasn't that it was bad food. It was just because it was food that came from oppression. It was food that came from slavery. It was food that came from injustice. That's what they were looking to go back to. They were looking to go back. It wasn't the food. They were looking to go back to slavery. They were looking to go back to oppression. They were looking to go back to their injustices. And that made God angry. It made him angry. What is it that, what is it that craves the old stuff of our former life? What is it? It, it? It's our old nature. That's what it is. And it's in every one of us. And it's pulling us back. May God adjust our palate today to, to crave the spirit food of the Holy Ghost. May God... Realign our palate to, to, to flavor the food of the Spirit today. That's what God wants to do. Look what he says. He says, I will give you some of the hidden manna. What is this? What is this hidden manna? And why was it hidden? Well, well it, it, it's, it's not hidden from you. It's hidden for you. <laughs> There's a difference, you see. You know the Easter egg hunt? You know the way you do with your kids? You don't hide them from your kids. You hide them for your kids. God's expecting us as a church to strive for this. He's expecting us to do our bit. When you move to God, God moves to you. He's expecting something to happen. It's, it, that's, why, that's why the New Testament is full of active verbs like strive to enter in. New Testament is full of this stuff. Put on the whole armor of God. Work to find yourself approved. Run to win the race. Enter to get in. It's all the activity and the activity of the church and the problem of the church, the problem of the Balaamite and the Nicolaitan doctrine is sit back and relax and Take your time, and if God comes, it's okay, and if God calls you, it's okay. No, 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 no. There's a tension in this. God's, God's calling us to strive to enter in. He's calling us to put on the whole armor of God. He's calling us to work in this. And so my question is, where are the places in life that you're eating from the wrong tables? Is there somewhere where you need to push yourself away from the table and say no more? Is there some company that you need to push yourself away from and say, that's not good for me. That's the tension of Christian living, because what you believe really matters. How you act really matters. Give me a few minutes, will you? We're half. Can you give me a few minutes? And then we'll, okay. All right, we've no kids work, so I'm allowed, aren't we? 
Okay, thank you. I'll only be five minutes, all right? <laughs> These people were, were living in a world just like us, in a sexually immoral world. The, the men here would have a wife to do the housework and do, clean the house and make the meals. And then they would have no problem going and have a, going to sleep with a prostitute um, through the week or maybe at the weekend. That's the way they lived. And they, they lived this sexually immoral life. And, and we know that Christians were called out of that world. We're called where one man commits to one woman for life and they make a covenant of marriage. The Nicolaitans and the Balaamites were saying, it's okay. It's okay to do that. It's okay. Now you might say, well, you might say, well, I'm not sleeping with a prostitute, but maybe, maybe there's something on your phone that's uh, not good, something that God's speaking to you about. They, 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 see, the Balaamites and the Nicolaitans, I'm going to say it. I know we'll get into trouble for saying it, but they leaned on the hyper-grace movement, and it's rampant in the church today. It's rampant in the church today, and it's a wrong doctrine. It's a wrong doctrine. The hyper-grace movement. It's okay because God has forgiven all your sin, past, present, and future. And they, these people actually believed. You know what the Nicolaitans believed? They believed that your spirit and your flesh were so divided that as long as your spirit was saved, you, it didn't matter what you did with your flesh. You could live whatever way you wanted. That is faulty, faulty teaching. And it's robbing you of the crown. And I'll show you that in a moment. Don't misunderstand the grace of God. It's not given to give us a license to sin. Now, I know you're going to say, Phil, does the Bible not say where sin abounds, grace much more abounds? Yeah, yeah, it does. But it doesn't give us license to sin. That's not what that verse means. Remember when you were a child? Remember the time when you could get a clip in the ear? Remember when you were a child and your, your dad or your mom hit you a good clout in the ear? You didn't get that clout in the ear and think, oh, come on, let's get back and doing that again. You thought, I'm never, at least you're going to make sure you're never going to see you doing it again. You knew that it was, because here's the thing, here's the thing, the, the, the discipline is actually to make us more like Jesus. The discipline, God chastens those that he loves. He disciplines those that he loves. So it's to so it's it's bring, here, here's the thing, discipline is to make us trust God, not test God. We're to trust God, not test him, driving us to holiness. So it's, it's dangerous to misunderstand the grace of God, having time to expound that. Lastly, can I say this? Walk in God's righteousness because how you live really matters. Now, I love this little verse. I love this one at the end. I will give that person a white stone um, with a new name on it, known only to the one who receives it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight little words at the end. Known only to the one who receives it. Not interesting. Like he didn't say, I'm going to give it a white stone and leave it at that. He says, the white stone has to be received. See the activity of the verse again? <laughs> and what happened in the history tells us that what happened if someone was being in a court of law and they were found innocent, they would have been given a white stone. And the very act of coming up to receive the white stone showed your innocence. You had to come and receive it. So a white stone was set, and they said, if you are really innocent, then you can come and receive your white stone, proving that guilt is absolved and you are an innocent man or an innocent woman. And he's saying, there's a white stone, and it's for anybody who is there to receive it. And you've got to receive it, and it's your choice. Now, let me finish with a couple of uh, verses from um, 1 Corinthians 3, because I want you to get this, all right? Um, you say, Phil, well, if I'm saved, I'm saved. Yeah, you, you, you are. But you know, there's such a thing as been saved by the skinnier pants. 
There's a thing called saved as by fire. I'll show you where it is in the Bible. Let me read it to you. Here we go. We're, we're, we're landing, all right? We're landing. For we are co-workers in God's service, Paul's writing, and you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given to me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Here's what he says. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. There's a day of judgment coming. If our life has just been wood, hay, and straw, it'll be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. The flamethrower of God's power and presence will go in the way we lived our lives. If it's gold, silver, if it's, if it's solid, then it will costly stones it will survive if it's wood hay and stubble it'll just go in the smoke and if what has been built survives the builder will receive a reward okay I'm not making this up it's in the Bible if it is burned up the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames in by the skinnier pants I don't know about you, but I don't want that. And I don't want it for you. And I don't want it for me. I want us to get a reward. I want us to get a crown. I want us to have places of rulership and leadership when it comes to glory because it's about eternity. He says, listen to what he says. He finishes it off. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst if anyone destroys God's temple? God will destroy that person. God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Scary stuff, isn't it? We miss some of these scriptures sometimes. Let me say this. I didn't actually know this, but new has two Greek wordings, Greek meanings. The word new in the New Testament has two Greek meanings. The first one is, is this one, neos. And it means new in time. So it basically means if you, like if you want to get a new iPhone, um, it's the iPhone 10, I think it's 12 coming up now, it's a new upgrade. It's an upgrade. It's an upgrade of what's old. So it's, a, it's a, just a, a better version of self. A better version of what you have. If you live your Christian life thinking you're a better version of what you once were, that's where we fail. Because that's not what he means when he calls us a new creation, it's actually the second word. It's this word, kainos, which means new in kind. Completely new. It's not, an, it's not a, a, a revised version of your old self. That's why there's tension. That's why there's a war. It's not an upgrade. It's a new self in here. It's a living by the Spirit. And so it's going to pull. It's going to be a pulling against. And so we need to know that your new nature is a new name. And if you don't realize this, every time compromise knocks at your door, you'll open it. If you think you're just an upgrade of the old self, Every time compromise knocks, you'll open. But if you realize you're new and kind, new and kind. And so as we come around the table and we do this quickly, I just want us to take a minute. This has been a difficult week. Losing a really good friend like Jacqueline has been tough. I was working through this message, and this message was killing me. 
This message was ripping things in my heart. This message was tearing inside of me. That battle was raging like Paul to the church at Rome. And so as we take this bread, let us take a moment and examine ourselves. Let us ask ourselves, what is it we need to surrender? What is it we need to, to say to, to Jesus today? Jesus, as we take the bread, as we take the cup today, we want to say, I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to you, my precious Savior. I surrender all. Let's eat the bread together. And as we take the cup, remind ourselves of the blood that was shed. Let us not just rest in our laurels and think everything's all sorted now and our passport to heaven is all intact. And yes, it is. But let's declare, I don't want to get in by the skin of my pants. I don't want to be one of those people known as saved as through the flames. Rule and reign with Christ forever. There's a great book by a guy called Rick Godwin. Rick Godwin was a one of the backing players in, in Rod Stewart's band back in the day and got born again and went into the ministry, pastors of church, Rick Godwin, and he writes a great book called Training for Reigning. That's an old day, but it's been about a long time, but if you can grab it, read it, Training for Reigning. This idea that what we're, what we're living out now is for eternity, it's for the way we will live and rule in eternity. Let's take of the cup together, reminding ourselves of the blood that was shed. I'd love us just to sing that little song as our closing prayer, I Surrender All. Um, let's do that together and then we're finished. Dave will come and close us off. But um, I, I, I know it hasn't been an easy message to hear. It hasn't been an easy message to preach. But uh, God has sent something today to the compromising church. He's saying this is a special day. We're living in the last moments of, I believe, of time. And God's calling his church home sometime soon. It's got to be. And so we need to be the bride victorious. We need to go there. And so that's why the tension of living and that tension of the spirit life is so, so important. Let's stand and let's sing together. Sorry for me over the time, but um, the Lord bless you today. And I hope the message speaks to all of our hearts. Thanks, Dixie. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.